Well, good morning, everyone. And thank you to Jason and the team for leading us. Uh, before I begin, just kind of repeating an announcement. If you were in the AGM last Sunday, uh, you would have heard news at the end of the AGM that David and Catherine will be leaving us in the next few months. And so even as David started this morning and went back to his, his roots and some good country and western over there, uh, we will be sad to see David and Catherine leaving us as they head off to Grand Prairie of all places. Like that is really the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, I thought it was bad enough cold out here, but wow, that's just a whole nother level. But apparently they're happy about this and they're excited. And so we pray with them and, and send them with blessing and grace. And we'll communicate closer to the time as to what that is, but that's just, I mean, when that will be, but that's just to communicate to the congregation what was communicated last week. As I get my notes ready, turn to the person next to you and say to them, you belong here. And now there could be a person on the other side of you that you missed out. There could be somebody sitting in front of you or behind you who is alone. Turn to them. Gary is looking very lonely at the back there. Gary, you belong here. Okay, okay. It wasn't a whole long conversation. I'm glad I saw some people waving at people across the auditorium. And yes, indeed, you belong here, you may have been a part of this church for so long that you feel like you're part of the furniture. You belong here. You might be visiting with us this morning. And unless you don't live in the area, you belong here. You may have been here for a little while and you're not entirely sure how you ended up in the midst of this weird bunch of people and you're thinking to yourself, maybe I should go to the church down the street. Let me repeat, you belong here. So why do I say you belong here? Well, the good thing is I don't say it. The Bible says it. The Word of God repeats the theme, you belong here. I am excited for the next couple of months. I, uh, today we begin a series in the book of Luke. Uh, I need to tell you, I have wanted to preach through Luke for years and years. And for all sorts of reasons, it's just never really worked that way. And I've never been able to get into the book of Luke. And today, I am finally able to do this. And I think you guys are going to fall in love with the book of Luke as we go through it. You know, most people don't realize that Luke is the longest gospel. Now, I know some of you are going to go home and you're going to look at how many chapters each gospel has. And you're going to go, ha ha, Brian is wrong. No, Brian is not wrong. Don't count the chapters. Count the verses. Luke is the longest gospel in terms of verses. Uh, in fact, I would go so far, and, and it's fact again, Luke as an author is the single biggest contributor, contributor, contributor. He's added the most to the New Testament in terms of verses. I know some of you are going, well, what about the Apostle Paul? Indeed, the Apostle Paul has written way more letters and he, he kind of spans this history of the, the Bible. 
and contribute significantly. The Apostle Paul wrote 2,032 verses. Luke writes 2,157 verses, adding to our New Testament. The Gospel of Luke is also unique in its account. It's unique in the story of Jesus because it's not just Luke. Luke has a sequel, the book of Acts. Luke Acts is the same author, and it's, the, it's this incredible story of Jesus and Jesus coming to earth and what he did. But then we find the sequel in the life of the church and how the church responds to that and how this community of, the, of believers is built and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I think what makes this gospel so fascinating for me and probably why I've wanted to preach it so often, is virtually the entire gospel of Luke points back to Jesus Christ. You cannot read the gospel of Luke without being confronted by Christ and without having to respond to Jesus Christ, whether individually as a disciple reading through or corporately as a body of believers. We are confronted with Jesus, and we must respond to Jesus. Luke answers the question, why did God, why did Jesus, God in the flesh, come to earth? Luke tells us it's not just to die for our sins, as important and fundamentally necessary as that is, but also to form a people of God who are able to serve his purposes. I think one of the reasons why I've also wanted to preach through the book of Luke is because as we see God at work in the flesh, as we see Jesus moving and as we see Jesus calling and then commissioning disciples, it's the role of the Holy Spirit throughout. I would challenge you, I would encourage you, as you read through Luke, as you listen to the verses in Luke, listen anew with a sense of where is the Holy Spirit in this? And you'll be amazed at how often the Spirit moves and the Spirit works. Of course, Luke is going to answer for us, what did Jesus do? In Jesus' coming, he reveals the way to God. In fact, the early church, the early Christians, before they were called Christians, were known as people of the way. Because they believed that Jesus was the way. The way to God and the way to live. And what does Jesus want people to do? He calls people to repent of their sin. He calls disciples to take up their cross daily as they follow him and then be witnesses to that message of repentance and for forgiveness of sins. And of course, he promises the Holy Spirit to help us in that task. At the center of every step, at the center of every bit of activity of God here on earth stands Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to diving into that. Now, of course, you might ask, okay, well, who is Luke? You know, this is the interesting thing about the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Neither of them actually give their name of the author. Neither of them say who has written it. But, of course, even as we read it, we can find two key facts regarding the author, and this is how we're able to determine who the author is. We know that the author was not an eyewitness to the events described, but rather this author has taken the other accounts, both written and oral, and has put them together, summarizing and also expanding on key points to summarize the life of Jesus. 
We also know, secondly, that the author was a companion of Paul. We know this because we read through the book of Acts. There are multiple we passages. And that narrows the possibilities right there to a few candidates. This is where we then go to church history and church tradition. Because the church fathers, the historians of the early church, unanimously agreed that Luke, the doctor, that's conferred in uh, Colossians chapter 4, they unanimously agreed that Luke was the author of both Luke and Acts. Now, if we were in a university setting, we might want to debate that a little bit further and, and go on, but that's not the, the role of today's message. That's outside the scope. For now, I fully agree and believe that we can safely accept this letter as having been written by Luke and written not just to Theophilus, a guy we're going to meet in a moment, but written to you and to I. Daryl Bach when talking about the purpose of the letter and the purpose of why Luke would bother to write, Daryl Bach says this, When one considers Luke alone, it is the person of Jesus and the nature of God's work through him to deliver humanity that takes center stage. Theophilus is probably a believer who is a Gentile or a non-Jewish Semite or a God-fearer, and he may well be wondering what he is doing in an originally Jewish movement that has faced so much rejection from the Jews. Does he really belong? And is salvation really found in that movement? Is this what God is about? Luke reassures Theophilus that Jesus does stand at the center of God's redemptive plan by explaining how that rejection took place. He explains that the community Jesus formed must be prepared to walk a similar path. This is the purpose of the gospel of Luke, to point to Jesus and to encourage believers. They belong in this community who need to trust Jesus and walk in his path. So what's the contemporary significance? And this is what I love about Luke. We might read the book of Luke and think, well, this was written to a Middle Eastern community in biblical times, and it has no relevance to us today. My friends, as we read through Luke, we are going to be confronted with Jesus continually and be reminded it is as valid for us today as what it was when it was first written. This letter will still be meaningful for us as we engage with it. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to the book of Luke. If you've got it on your phone, I'm going to read two passages. Well, let me rephrase that. I'm going to read one passage, but from two translations. Starting with the NIV, Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught." I want to read it now again in the ESV, not because I believe one is better than the other, but to show and, and to add to it, to build on it. And the English Standard Version 
translates it as follows. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The opening portion of Luke is not simply these four verses that we've just read. The opening portion of Luke is Luke chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through to chapter 2, verse 52. And in this opening section of Luke, Luke introduces us to the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. Yes, we will meet a few notable characters along the way, just like John the Baptist and others. But even here in this opening portion, Jesus is the central focus and the central story. Jesus Christ is the reason. Now, I need to just quickly pause here and talk about Jesus Christ. For many people in the world today, Jesus Christ is simply a swear word. It's something we utter when we drop a cup or we hit our hand or we stub our toe. And so many people think Jesus Christ is Jesus' full name. Like Christ is the family name, Jesus is the first name. This is not the case. Yes, Jesus is Jesus' given name. Taken from Yeshua, the the Greek Joshua, sorry, the Hebrew Joshua. And it means God saves or means salvation. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is his title. If we wanted to be true, we should actually be saying Jesus the Christ. Christ means the anointed one of God. The one set apart by God for a specific purpose. Jesus the Christ, our Redeemer who saves, anointed and set apart of God. This is the focus of the Gospel of Luke. The one anointed to save us. This opening portion of the Gospel of Luke is going to do two things for us and show two things for us. Firstly, it's going to show us the superiority of Jesus Christ, initially over John the Baptist. And you and I might look at that and kind of go, well, that, we don't really get that. We don't understand that. Go back to this context. You see, John the Baptist steps into the scene 400 years after the last prophet has spoken to the nation of Israel. As far as the Jews were concerned, God had been silent. They had not heard his voice for 400 years. And along comes John the Baptist. Many Jews thought John was this amazing prophet, this superior individual, this person in touch with God who received from God and spoke to the people of God. And so it is crucial for us to see that Jesus is superior even to John the Baptist. But not only is this portion of Luke going to show us that Jesus is superior, it's also going to show us that God remembers and fulfills his promises. You and I use the word I promise or the phrase I promise far too frequently. 
You ever catch yourself promising something and you know you're not going to be carrying that out? I know that I've done that many a time when I've promised I won't forget to leave coffee cups lying around the house. Or I've promised I will take out the trash. But God remembers and fulfills his promises. And they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In these few verses, Luke answers the question as to why he's written this letter in the first place. Luke reveals that many others have told the story. Uh, The original Greek that we've translated as many accounts imply both the written and the oral tradition of the day. Luke is drawing on these multiple sources to compile an addition to the narratives. At no point is Luke suggesting that his is better than anybody else's or that we shouldn't worry about the others. No, Luke is saying, I'm taking all of these stories that I've heard and I'm compiling them together to add to the voice about God, to add to the story of Jesus. This is why he speaks about eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. We can take their voices and Luke's seriously. Luke tells us four things about his work before he's even begun really writing. First thing he says, I've investigated the story. I followed it closely. The second thing is, I went back to the beginning. This is why he starts with John the Baptist, as we will see over the next few weeks. Thirdly, he's been thorough, having studied everything. This is why this gospel is longer than the others and includes 30% more material than what the other gospels have. And fourthly, that he's worked carefully, taking great care to develop this orderly account of the life of Jesus. Luke has written to Theophilus to reassure him that he may know with certainty the things that he has already been taught about Jesus Christ. Scholars have debated for centuries as to who Theophilus was. I don't think we need to get sidetracked here, and that's a a fruitless discussion. Most probably, the bottom line, I think it is safe to see that Theophilus was probably a new convert with questions. And that gives me such encouragement. I haven't met many disciples of Jesus Christ that haven't had doubts, haven't had questions at some point. Going, why am I here? Do I really believe this? Uh, this doesn't really make sense. How do, I, how do I wrestle with this? How do I grapple with this? And Luke understands Theophilus has these questions, and so he writes to encourage Theophilus. And in the same time, he writes to encourage you and I. You belong here. If you have doubts, you are in good company, and you're in the right place. Luke will solidify the foundation of our faith to reveal that God is still indeed at work, redeeming humanity to himself, that Jesus is the promised Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one of God. And Luke wants to reassure us that God is at work today. Luke writes this narrative, uh, historical accounts, and I'm going to encourage you to read through Luke more frequently over the next few weeks and months I don't know how long this will go. We're going to just have some fun while we're going. But I would encourage you to read afresh, read anew. Look at the stories. Look at the the pictures. Look at the, the narrative as Luke unpacks this incredible story. And read it as such. 
not as a, a work of fiction, but as an historical account, one that can be trusted. You know, when we read through this book, Luke reminds us that the claims of Jesus can be trusted. Jesus' uniqueness in the midst of a pluralistic, materialistic, and relativistic world are still superior than all other claims of authority. I think sometimes we forget. We forget that pluralism was also present in the ancient world. And so Jesus, Luke's address of Jesus' uniqueness comes from a context not unlike our own. Our own multicultural awareness might seem to be greater than what it was simply because we're so much more connected to people from all over the world. But our need for God and our need for revelation from Him are just as necessary today. And in that sense, this is still a timely letter for us and a letter that can be trusted. One more comment regarding Theophilus before I work towards a conclusion. Theophilus was most probably a recent convert. His background brings light for us here. Theophilus entered a world, this new group of believers. Many who enter church society today sometimes wonder about this new language, these strange customs, the traditions of worship and interaction. And we're this kind of melting pot in a sense. You know, Jason stood up at the beginning of worship and kind of shared how one of the reasons that we dim the lights during worship is to help people focus, to remove distractions. But I know that for some of you, dimming the lights is a distraction because it's so different to how you grew up. And so Luke says to us, Jesus brings us together as this community that wrestles and grapples with earthly human traditions, but doesn't set anyone up over against another as being the right one, but rather says, how do we come together under the banner of Christ and take the message of Christ into the world around us? And that means there are going to be times where we're going to do something or say something that others, even in the congregation, are going to, that doesn't make sense. That's why we get together and discuss and have a conversation to get back to the gospel and get back to reminding one another, even when you look around and you think to yourself, I don't think I belong because that doesn't work for me. You do belong here in this community of believers. So what are we to take from these four introductory verses as brief as they are? And these verses that lay a foundation for the rest of the letter. I think there are three points of application that we can draw from this. Firstly, Luke tells us of God's acts in history through Jesus Christ. This main character, Jesus Christ, is not made up in the image of a person's imagination. Think about it for a moment. If you were going to design a story and write a story and, and add the character that is the hero of the story, I don't think you would write a story like Luke writes, where a savior makes everyone responsible for their own sin, but then chooses to pay for that 
the penalty of that sin with their own life? Who would design a regal Messiah born in a stable who never wears a crown or sits on a throne? Who would make a hero out of a figure rejected by his own people? This history of Jesus that Luke accounts cannot be concocted fiction. It is grounded in real events of an extraordinary figure with an extraordinary story. And the unusual nature of the story is what gives credence and credibility to the testimony of its authenticity. Its reality is the basis of our assurance of faith. And it's this assurance that Luke wishes to give his readers through the story of Jesus Christ. It is God who is at work bringing humanity back to himself into relationship. The second thing we can draw from the story is God wants to see, sorry, God wants us to see how we fit into his community. He wants us to see that the story of Jesus is not only about Jesus Christ, it's about us. As God reaches out with both power and humility, lifting us up and bringing us into his presence, God takes people who were outsiders and brings them in and makes us insiders in his community. This group of people worshiping Jesus Christ. And that's what assures us. God does what God promises we can rest in the comfort of knowing that God's, what God plans and what God reveals comes to pass. And then the third thing we can take from this is we can trust the gospel as we read it. It fascinates me how even in the scholarly community, there are those who argue that the gospels are filled with fabrication, that they're, they're confusing and, and they, they don't make sense. They're fabricated stories. Luke comes along as a historian, solid, reliable historian who records all the stories, who brings them together and reveals the truth and reveals in so doing, reveals the heart of God. Sure, he may not have had a recorder or a cell phone that he could whip out and film what was going on in that day. And sure, he may not have used footnotes as we would expect. But he lived in a community that passed the story on with great care and great integrity. They were sensitive to telling the story accurately. And so Luke records those and summarizes them for us. You know, I have a soap journal. I know I've mentioned this many a time from the pulpit. A soap journal. Soap is, simply stands for scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And as I've been going through the book of Luke in my own soap journal, I start with the scripture and I'll read a couple of verses and pray, God, what are you saying to me? Where do I need to dwell today? And at some point, a verse will jump out and I'll say, okay, God, I'm going to take that as your prompting. And I write that down under the S, that verse. And then under the O for observation, I observe what's taking place in this passage. Who's talking? To, to whom are they speaking? What are they talking about? What's going on? Who are the characters? And as I jot those thoughts down and put myself into that place and imagine hearing and seeing and, and being involved in that story, it's amazing how easily the application flows out. 
And the application, I, I jot down a couple of thoughts on, okay, God, what do I do with this? How do I respond to this passage? What do I apply? What do I go and carry out? And then P for prayer, I jot down my prayer. As I've been soaping my way through Luke, can I quickly terrify you to say that just in the first four chapters of Luke, I've got 20 entries. Now, we're not going to do 20 sermons through the first four chapters of Luke. You don't need to worry right there. But as I read through Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, what did I take home from that? It's actually really simple. Luke says, I have studied to encourage you. This is the call for you and I as we read through the book of Luke. To study the account of Jesus Christ and then to share it, to encourage others. Doesn't that sound a little similar to something you've heard for the last couple of weeks? That we at White Rock Baptist Church seek to be a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ, worshiping God, and then growing in faith to impact the world. We study the story. We engage. We don't leave it to the guy behind the pulpit. We don't leave it to the people on the stage. You and I together need to be committed to studying the Word of God so that we know the story, so that we know the account, we know the truth, and we know the gospel. But then as we study it, we don't bury it, we don't keep it to ourselves, and we don't think, this is just for me. No. We study so that we can go out encouraging one another and impact the world. I'm so blessed that so often one or two of you will send me an email of encouragement because of something that has happened to you. Don't just send it to me. Encourage those around you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, I believe we can impact the world. Let's pray together. Father, as we begin this journey, studying this letter written by your servant Luke nearly 2,000 years ago, we are blown away at its relevance and application to us today. That indeed, God, we can trust it. Even in the midst of doubts, in the midst of questions, in the midst of concerns or even confusions, Father, we can come with integrity and humility in front of you, before you, in your word, and allow your Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. And so, Father, even as Luke writes to Theophilus, and reminds Theophilus that many have been a part of this story, many have undertaken, many have studied, many have written, many have shared. So I too have taken that, and I've studied it from the beginning. These events that took place in our midst, these events regarding the one who is Jesus the Christ. And so Theophilus, I now write them for you so as to encourage you. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help each one of us to spend time in your word, studying, growing in faith, that we might impact the world as we share 
as we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. For we would ask this in your name, united by your spirit. Amen.